So the title of my sermon this morning is Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 2, 26, and it's entitled, What Really Matters? The Futile Search for Meaning in the American Dream. So last week in our introduction to Ecclesiastes, Pastor Anthony asked us some questions, all of us. And at one time or another, we should ponder these. Those questions were, what do you chase after? Why is it so important to you? What do you daydream about? What temporary things do you try to make ultimate things? How about the American dream? What is it? Is it important to you? It's a unique American experience. You don't hear about the Italian dream or the United Kingdom dream or the African dream. You hear about the American dream. The second paragraph of the U.S. Constitution reads, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now this is true regardless of one's ethnicity, Regardless of their background, their social status, their economic status, and so on. But as we learned last week from Pastor Anthony's sermon, it is all hevel. The word hevel means meaninglessness. I use the word futile. It could also mean senseless. It can also mean a whole bunch of things that we can't grasp, like a vapor, Something we cannot grab a hold of. Today, we get to see how the teacher in Ecclesiastes pushes back against the idea of the American dream. The teacher puts himself in the place of King Solomon. In the original language, the teacher is called Koheleth. Most believe that these are the words of King Solomon as told by this anonymous author, Koheleth. We're to hear this passage as if it were written by Solomon himself. For none had greater wisdom than this wise king. None of us and nobody else in the world was wiser than this king. According to this king's wise words, everything that we pursue to make this dream come true is ultimately futile. Whether we seek power, fame, riches, love, knowledge, it's all meaningless. It's all hevel. Even when those things are pursued with wisdom... They are but a vapor, unable to be held on to. Some people turn to drugs, gambling, alcohol, hobbies, sports, social networks, and so many other things in order to fill a void in their hearts. But these things never satisfy. In chapter 1, verse 13, it's the first time that God is mentioned in Ecclesiastes. And the end of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. All the other stuff is hevel. It's all meaningless. And this is what the teacher Koheleth wants us to see. Without God, nothing matters. So I want to bring out two big points today here. Number one is the bitter truth. Futility. The futility of gaining knowledge. Let's turn in our Bibles to 
Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow." The teacher says that he has put all of his heart into knowing everything. Can you imagine putting that much energy into learning and understanding everything? In chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, in verse 12, he states, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. People have accused me of being a fountain of useless information. I just want to let you know that. Um, Because I sought after knowledge. But the teacher knows that man's thirst for knowledge cannot be quenched, but ultimately it is meaningless. It is hevel. My family teases, and they call me dictionary. I, I don't know how to take that. At least I think they're teasing. But really, whatever information I think I may have, it's useless. It's really useless. God has given man an unhappy business as his or hers quest for wisdom. They're searching for pleasure, the living of a good life, even our hard work. Basically, everything under the sun, all of these bring no true joy, no true peace. Everything without God is futile. We do it because we have, to, we, we have to do it. We're human beings. It's a meaning. There really is nothing. It, it brings no happiness. It's senseless. It's the human condition. And so we go on about our unhappy business. We can't help but do the things that we do. We do them because we're human. But he says, the teacher says, it's as if we are trying to chase after wind. We can never catch it. And even if we could, that would be meaningless as well. Because if we could catch wind, what would we do with it? Yeah, nothing. And he confirms this with a proverb here in our text. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. That's in verse 15. He's telling us, we can't change the world. It is what it is, yet here we are. We're always trying to improve things. We're always trying to make our lives better. But it's bent and it's broken by sin. And we can't do anything about it. It's futile. Kohaleth says chasing wisdom is actually insanity and foolishness. Wow. I'm so smart that I'm a crazy fool. 
Isn't that great? Since wisdom proved futile, he chased other things. He chased things like pleasure. So let's look at the futility of chasing after pleasure. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the futility of chasing after pleasure. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said to laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from, from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained in me, with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So the king found all of this meaningless as well. Think about it. Even laughter, comedy, it brought no pleasure, no real pleasure. We even see this today. How many comedians have we enjoyed that have made us laugh that have committed suicide? Lots of them, even recently. People we view as happy and joyful are some of the most miserable, sad individuals that struggle. They struggle with depression. Laughter is like a mask they put on to hide their true selves. The king says he couldn't even enjoy a glass of wine, even though he wisely partook of it. It was futile. He wasn't drinking just to get drunk, fall down. It says he wisely partook of it. Really, everything that man could think would bring joy, it doesn't. The king says our works, our gardens, our building projects, our swimming pools, our servants, our employees, our animals, our bling, our money, our art, our sex. The king said he got pleasure from all of this, but then again, he realized anything and everything that we can try and seek pleasure from is chasing after wind. It's all futile. Even living one's life in a wise manner was meaningless. There was nothing that he could do. So let's move on. Let's look at the futility of wise living, hard work, and toil. If you turn in your Bibles to chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, excuse me, 2, 12 through 23, we'll read on. Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 23. 
So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. As there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that at the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all the toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who, who knows whether he will be, a, be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity." So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. It's all vanity, folks. The king complimented his, or contemplated his wisdom. He said it was insanity and foolishness, and he determined that wise living, even living wise, which we consider a good thing, it's better than the other two because a fool is blind, but the wise can see clearly. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 verifies this. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says this. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. That sounds good. But something dawned on the king. It's as if he said to himself, no matter how well I live my life and make good decision, my fate is the same as the crazy fool. That's true for all of us. Ultimately, all people are going to end up in eternity. Whether we're wise, whether we're fools, whether we're rich or poor, black, white, it doesn't matter. We all end up with the same fate of eternity. And the king understood this. He got this. It came to him. The wise and the fool will be long forgotten. Did you know that? When you die, there's going to be no lasting remembrance of you. You're going to be long forgotten. It happens all the time. Somebody will soon take their place. And it may be that a wise man replaces the fool and a fool that replaces the wise. And there is nothing that can be done about that. There's no such thing as legacy. We always say, well, I want to live a, leave a lasting legacy. There's no such thing as that. 50 years from now, nobody's going to remember your legacy. Then the king, 
He turned his focus to hard work and toil. This caused him to despise all of his lifetime of hard work. He hated the hard work that he did. He couldn't stand it because of pride. And as Americans, we take great pride in hard work. When we're little children, our parents tell us to grow up and get a job and work hard. So we understand that. We get that. But this wise king, he knew more than we will ever know. He found no wisdom and no pleasure in his hard work. Everything he worked for and used his wisdom to accomplish will ultimately belong to someone else. And there ain't nothing he can do about it. Nothing. There ain't nothing we can do about it. It is what it is. So he was puzzled. The king was puzzled. He was sad and he was angry about this. Not only was it futile, hevel, it was also evil, he said. It was evil that somebody else was going to get everything that he had worked hard for. And there would be no recognition of what he had done. So here's a principle I want to leave with you. The principle is this. Anything done without submission to the true king of Israel is futile. It's hevel. Solomon was a king of Israel, but there's another king of Israel that we need to remember and think about. Here's my second bigger point of the day. And this one is not the bitter truth, but the better truth. Thank you, Pastor Med. Enjoyment. Chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he is given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also his vanity and a striving after wind. So enjoyment, let's look at that. Since all is hevel, let's eat and drink and be merry. So the biblical quote is, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. My own personal view is, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we diet. So... That's how I kind of like to see that, and trust me, I could use a diet. So, we're going to be gathered around the Lord's table here in a few moments. And I want to remind us all to let's eat and drink and be merry for what the Lord has done for us. The sinner, the sinner drinks to forget. He gets knocked down drunk so that he can forget all of his problems. The righteous, on the other hand, they drink to remember, to enjoy in God, to enjoy God in all of life's little things, to take enjoyment of God in all of life's little things. Think about the little things that we take for granted, the blessings, the babies. I heard some babies in here. There's some babies over there playing. That's a blessing. A great conversation. How many of you enjoy a great conversation? 
Not just a, hey, how you doing? But I mean an actual deep, great conversation. There's nothing more enjoyable than that. A good friend. We all like to have friends. A good friend. There's nothing like a good friend. A smile. You ever walk into a room and somebody just has like a billion dollar smile and it just kind of changes your whole perspective? We enjoy that. We enjoy the sun, the S-U-N sun. We enjoy the sun, the S-O-N sun. We enjoy the moon, the stars, the sky, the universe. As Christians, we enjoy scripture, prayer, obedience, freedom from sin, a life well lived, finishing well. Women, enjoy your husbands. Men, enjoy your wife. Both of you, enjoy kiddos. If you're single, enjoy the wait. We enjoy a kiss or a hug, a warm embrace, and so many other things I can't possibly name here. But you get the point. But here's the question. Why should we do this since all is futile? Why? I have an answer. Enjoyment. God has allowed this. Verse 26 helps explain this. For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But check this out. To the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. God has allowed this. God has given us permission to enjoy. But let's look at verse 26. Verse 26. <clears throat> the second half of it, he says, this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Even though God has allowed this and given us this to enjoy, the teacher says even this is vanity and a striving after wind. Why do you think that is? This next verse is going to be quoted a lot in these sermons, I can guarantee you. So let's go all the way to the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. And we're going to find out that the fear of God is the only thing that really matters. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's all that matters. That's not hevel, by the way. That's not meaningless. That's not futile. That's not senseless. That's the way that God has designed us to live our lives. Fearing God and keeping his commandments. And that's what we're charged to do. So here's the second principle I want to share with you here. Let's find joy in God in the little things. All those little things that I mentioned and more. All the little things. If you've ever been in jail, you have to wear shoes in the shower. You don't get to turn door handles. People are always using keys letting you in and out of places that you have to go. Let's 
find joy in God in the little things. When we wake up in the morning, we take for granted that the mixture of hydrogen and oxygen and all that is just perfect, and when we take a breath, it's there. When we walk outside, the sun is perfectly on axis, and so is the moon. Let's take joy in the little things. Stop and smell the roses, so to speak. So listen, I know it's a short sermon, but it didn't need to be real long. I'm pretty sure you got the point here. We live in America. We're taught to chase the American dream, all of us. If we're a hardworking mother, a father, a single adult, a college student, if we're retired, if we're disabled, we're told that the meaning of life is out there if we want it bad enough. We can grasp it. We can hold it. We can touch it if we want it bad enough. Yet Kohaleth, the teacher here, even after pleasing God by asking for great wisdom, concluded that everything under the sun is vapor. It's a mist. It's a fading flower. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's replaced by something else and long forgotten. So what is God saying to us through this author? And also this great wise king of Israel here. What's God saying to us? What about the true king of Israel? The king of kings and the Lord of lords. What about him? What's God telling us about him? Next week we're going to be seeing that there's a time and a place for all things. And that God has put eternity in man's heart. The question is, what does eternity look like for you? What's your eternal address? With Christ or without Christ? In Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul says this, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me say that again. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. The apostle Paul understood Hevel, the meaningless of it all. He understood it. He knew to live is Christ and to die is gain. To the world, those are crazy words. Those are words of an insane person. To us, those are words that give life. Those are the words of one of the heroes of our faith. So I want to share four things with you. The gospel. And this is seeing the gospel through the lens of being a Christian. But we have to remember, in Solomon's time, they knew that God had promised a redeemer. They just didn't know Jesus. But ultimately, Jesus' work is what would save the ancient brothers and sisters as well. So let's look at this. God, man, Christ response. God. Without God, everything is useless. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Without him, all things are useless. He holds all things together. Man, 
Because of Adam's fall, man toils under the sun. He sweats. He works hard. And even the great pleasures in life are meaningless. The author said it's the unhappy business of God to give man things to do. And what about Christ, the true preacher, the true king of Israel, the true teacher? He's the object of a true understanding of wisdom and peace. Sure, we can get wisdom from reading books, but as Christians, we're going to get much more wisdom from reading this book. This book. This book doesn't teach me how to build a shed. It doesn't give me instructions on how to build a building. But it tells me how to plan for it and how to live my life so that I can accomplish that if that's the duty that God has given me to do. So how should we respond? What is our response? Solomon said, For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy But to the sinner, he is given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. So the righteous enjoy all of God's benefits. The sinners ultimately give them to the people of God, the one who pleases God. So all their busyness, all their gathering, and all of their collecting, it's toil. It's under the sun. It's hevel. It's uselessness. So, in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, verse 11, the true end of the matter is this. And we go on. Fear God and keep his commandments, for it is the whole duty of man. So, I'll close with words from Pastor Anthony that he said last week. And then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. Anthony said, Happiness, meaning, and hope are found in our God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who can satisfy our souls. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy your soul. All your work, your toil, your quest for wisdom, all your pleasure seeking, none of that can satisfy your soul. Only Christ can satisfy your soul. But you have to recognize that you need Christ. You need to know that you're a sinner. And you're in need of a Savior. Somebody has to point out to you that you need Jesus badly. And I'm doing that this morning. You need Jesus badly. Because just like me, we're all sinners in this room. And we need him more than anything. Once we figure that out, then we have the ability to confess our sins before the Lord and then to repent and believe and place our trust in him and live a life that matters. Not a life of heaven, but a life that matters.